Each year, about 2 million people die due to waterborne diseases, and most of these deaths happen to children under the age of five. In low resource communities within countries like Zimbabwe, there's a huge societal burden when it comes to water collection, and this burden is often put on the backs of women and mothers. Women and mothers who are disadvantaged in terms of nutrition and food security, disease risks, reproductive health, personal safety, and access to education. They wake before the sun rises to trek miles and miles to seek water that may not even be clean or potable. Sometimes all they find is mud water. Today, I get to speak with Lumbi Malambo, a trailblazing woman who just happened to stumble into the field of philanthropy and never left. Inspired by her orphaned father who never went to school but served as a revered humanitarian in his local community, Lumbi took the leap to continue her father's legacy. As a result, she started a 501c3 nonprofit called JB Dandolo after her father's namesake. JB Dandolo's mission is to make it easy for marginalized communities to access natural resources essential for life, like water. When she took this leap, she didn't realize just how much work it would take to just provide water. And she didn't realize just how precious it was to the communities she was serving. What signs do you look for when you seek water? Where do you drill? What equipment do you need? Can rock formations or vegetation give you clues? In this episode, Lumbi explains to me not only how she became a philanthropist for clean water equity, but also just how much it takes to do the seemingly simple job of providing water to the people who need it most. My name is Hethel Baman, and this is The Global Health Pursuit. Welcome to the Global Health Pursuit podcast 2.0. Lumbi, I'm so excited to have you. I'm thrilled, actually. I have to tell you that every time I go onto LinkedIn, I see a post that's like, I've just gotten nominated for another award and this award and that award. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this woman is just like killing it out here. So I just want to say, just recently, I heard that you got nominated for the 2023 Women Changing the World awards. So I want to say congratulations. That is huge. And I think it's huge because, well, first of all, it's presented by Oprah Winfrey's all-time favorite guest, Dr. Tara I. Trent, which is like, you basically know Oprah by association now. Like, I'm just going to say that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Cheryl. It's always good to talk to you, you know. I'm excited. It's like, that nomination is really huge for me. You know, Terry Trent, Oprah Winfrey's all-time favorite guest, you know, for Women Changing the World Awards, it's huge because it puts me on a platform that has so much visibility and I get to connect with so many women and also get to learn what other women are doing and how we can collaborate. So it's huge for me. It's huge. I'm excited. I tell you, it's just been to see one thing after another. Yes. It's like when it rains, it rains. You know what I mean? Oh, yes, it pours. It pours. And when it doesn't rain, it just doesn't rain. So <laughs> I, I go through those moments where sometimes there's a lot of rain 
good rain. Then I go through yes. the moments where there's no rain at all. And I'm wondering, can anybody see me out there in the world? I mean, can I, can anybody hear me? You know, I'm here, you know, so it's just one of those, I call it, maybe it's a season. I yeah. think this is my season and it's been exciting. It's a blessing. I think God is hearing many people's prayers. And for that, I say, amen. Oh gosh. Yeah. Amen. What you said is so true. You know, when it, when it rains, it pours. It's crazy. I just want to talk a little bit more about the award because for anybody who doesn't know about the Women Changing the World Award, I want to just give a little bit of background on what it is. So essentially, the award is to celebrate and recognize women who are achieving outstanding success in all of these areas, such as sustainability, humanitarian work, leadership, advocacy, tech, product development, education, health, and innovation. So it's like a whole slew. But the awards are designed to recognize the growing number of women who are leading the way in making the world a better place for us all. And then on top of that, inspire other women to answer the call to action. And I think, like you said, it's a platform where you're not only recognized for the great work that we're going to talk about today that you're doing, but also it exemplifies the the power of being a woman in this world. I find it so inspiring. And the fact that you're so humble about it, it just, it makes me, it just touches my heart. So Lumbi, I want to start off this podcast just by asking you to briefly Talk a little bit about your story and tell us what you do. Yeah, I, I like what you said, really, about the Women Changing the World Awards. You know, that kind of bring to light, to visibility, the women that may be celebrated, but people don't really know about those women. And people may not even know what they do. So I like the elevation and kind of bringing to focus those women. The way I look at it is like, whether I win or not, I'm already a winner. Just to be nominated and to have my name mentioned is huge. That means somebody sees me. So winning, it doesn't really matter, especially for nonprofits. Because nonprofits, we don't compete. We work together to achieve a common goal. Because as a nonprofit, we all want to see, we choose to see how we live now, be the best and be what, how we want to see the world now and in the, in the future. We choose to make people happy. We choose to make everything right. We choose to do things that are going to make this world a better place, let me say. So it's all about sustainability. It's all about making sure that what we do today outlives us, outlasts us, you know, is for our children, our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. So therefore, what I do has to do with that. I make sure that I provide women and girls with clean water, sanitation, and hygiene so that they can have equitable lives. Because when you think about it, women are the ones that have the task of collecting water. And women are the, the users of water more than anything else, more than anybody else. Because we just need water for our sanitary needs, for everything, for cooking and everything. Not that men don't. They do but not as much as women do. So my mission and my vision has always been to make sure that I make that resource, 
that natural resource be available to all, wherever they are, so that it's never an issue. So that when people look back and when, when they look at everything, they appreciate the life that they have and where they've been and understand that without water, there is no life. Because really, without water, there is no life. So that's what I'm doing, making sure that through provision of water, everybody has a better life and gets out of poverty. Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are, would you do me a tiny favor? Show me some love by doing one or more of these three things. A, click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars toward the production of this podcast. My dream is to do this full time and your support would mean the world. B, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love it just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. When you started JP Dondolo, were you set on the fact that this organization is going to circle its mission around water versus any other issue? Not at all. I mean, it was not even in the picture. I never dreamed of it. I, it's just, it's something that just, you know, one of those things that you just stumble upon and right. you just ask yourself, is this really happening? Why would I even get an interest in this? I mean, why would I be interested in this thing? So it started out with, oh, can you just go help this community, this clinic at Igosi Clinic? Can you just go help those women so that they have beds for delivery, maternity right. and delivery? And I was thinking actually that it's a very small task, just small, just doing one day. But when I got there, I found out that, you know, they were actually shocked to see me. Like, what are you doing here? Who, who asked you to come and help us? You know, mm. we know your father, but you, I mean, they were kind of shocked. And they were kind of like also wondering, why the beds for women? Why not water? So they asked me for water. And I was like, mm. I mean... You're telling me that you want water over a clinic, a functional clinic. You want water. Why would anybody decide that? Why would anybody even say that? Mm-hmm. For me, it looked like kind of crazy. I was so naive to, I mean, I wasn't even a philanthropist then. I was fresh out of school, just going out in the, into the world, you know, just going to see what's going on. Just trying to finish my father's mission, you know, make him happy, make him proud, you know, in heaven where he is. I was just excited to go finish his work. What was his work? His work was to refurbish a clinic so that women had beds for delivery and maternity and recovery and to make sure that the clinic was pretty much renovated. So when I went, I was under the impression I was going for that. I was not under the impression that I was going to be asked to provide water. And me being naive, I thought, well, you know, since now they're kind of challenged, kind of was sort of like a challenge to say, mm-hmm. you either give us water or leave us alone. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, fine. Why don't I just give you water? I'll just come back here same day or tomorrow and give you water. And then maybe let me finish up my father's work, you know, and stuff like that. And little did I know that just to provide water is a huge task. Huge. It took me yeah. years. 
It took me years. When I finally did it, I thought to myself, oh my God, now I understand why. How could these people live without water? How could the clinic function without any water at all? What do they right. take? What do they use to take their medicines? Do they just chew tablets and just, how do they do it? That's when I realized, I mean, that that was a need, not just for the clinic, but also for the entire community. They needed clean water. Because when we installed that filtration system, it was really surprising to me how many people came around just to look at it. I think you told me in a past conversation that people were taking pictures with I know, it too. I know. It was beautiful and we chose the color blue. It was a beautiful blue color. People would touch it and just smell it and sit on it and bring their food and eat by it and have conversations around it. They had no idea what it was other than water is coming out of here. We don't know what this thing is, but there's water inside, you know. It was just exciting. It was exciting to watch, you know, people's reactions. And it made me happy, to be honest with you, that we gave this to the clinic, but the entire community, even the greater community came around just to support and celebrate. So that was huge. That is huge. Yeah. Now, in terms of the community that you first served in and the rate of waterborne diseases, I want to talk about statistics around waterborne diseases and honestly, how far many people need to actually walk to attain clean drinking water. One of the statistics is 2 million people die each year due to waterborne diseases, most of them children under the age of five. And in one of your communities that you work in, Matobo Hills. Yes, Matobo Hills. You say that 67% of people living in rural Zimbabwe, that amounts 10 million people don't have access to safe drinking water due to severe droughts, poor rains, floods. And while only 35% of Zimbabwe's population has access to improved sanitation. And when you are able to witness this, what is life like, like on the ground in Zimbabwe? It's amazing because the statistics don't lie. I mean, that's the fact. I used to think that it's, more, it's just the people in the rural area, you know, like in the countryside that didn't have water or clean water at all. And I realize now that it's actually the same everywhere. All across people in town, in big cities in Zimbabwe, they don't have water. It's the same. So I almost feel like this needs to be updated. These statistics should be updated to include not just people in the countryside, but people in the city, in urban. Because when I was there this time, several times I was there, I was very disappointed. Tell me more about that. Because I actually thought that in the countryside, they were much better than in the city. Looking at, at the life, how it is and how shortage of water and that people go like for days without water in the city. To me, that was amazing. That if they had water, it was just like drops of water, not even water. But the cold water was not even water. But nonetheless, I did realize that, especially in Matubo Hills, people would walk up to 18 miles a day. That's like both ways. Both ways, 18 miles. Yeah. And that's like the whole day, literally just the whole day. Because, I mean, if you're spending that much, you're spending like almost 10 hours just to find water. Just walking. Just walking. And you don't, they, they didn't know where they would find it. They would just 
Well, they know where to find it, but it's not that close. Right. Yeah. But wherever they're going, it's like, who is telling them that where they're getting water, that water is clean and safe to drink? Because it looks clear. It doesn't mean that it's, it's good to drink. So that's one of the things I, I could see that people were just going. Because maybe the water over here is muddy. They were drinking like black water, like mud water. That's why they're drinking mud. And it's so dry. It's like a very, very dry region because of lack of rains or flooding, rocky mountains, and just very hard to find water. So we found ourselves, you know, looking for water in all kinds of places and not finding it. And people getting very disappointed. I think like three or four times we've been there in Matobo Hills. We couldn't find water. We'll be there the whole day. We couldn't find water. And just the look of people, people's faces when you say there's no water. I mean, it's really devastating because you don't want to deliver the news to them. So guess what? We've drilled or we've done this and there's no water. It's very disappointing. You just want to say, you know what? We'll be right back. And maybe not this time. Maybe next time we'll find some water. As I speak to you today, right now, as we speak in Zimbabwe, in Aigosi, we're trying to find water for a school, primary school that has 300 students. Actually, we're there today, went there early this morning. We did a borehole sighting and it proved to us that there's water. However, that water is like 75 to 95 meters deep. So we decided, okay, let's, let's go down and see if we can get to that water. At 75 meters, we found out there's, there's no water. So now we don't know if at 95 meters, there really is going to be water. This school, I mean, is so desperate. There is no water at all at that school. And this water that we're going to find, the system that we're going to build for them, was supposed to supply two schools. That would have been 500 students. So I'm just waiting to get the results from the team down there what they're saying, if they found water or there's no water. Can you talk about the process of finding water and what do you have to do for that? Right. The process is very intense in that it's not guaranteed. It's like, I really want to work with NASA or any institution that uses science technology. I want to work with any institution that uses space technology because that will tell you with precision where the water is. Anything else that you use that is not space technology, it's almost like you're just, you're betting. It's like you're looking in the dark. Looking in the dark. Because water travels underground. Whatever sounds you hear, if you're using an instrument above ground to detect water reservoirs, it's going to catch everything that is moving underground. But that doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's right there. Because those instruments are very sensitive and they, they pick up on any sound. So sometimes instruments that we use with our partners pick up sounds that are maybe far away. Like today, they use a different instrument that goes underground and tells us that there's water like this many meters down. But when they try to sink a borehole that is 75 meters deep and they cannot find water, then it's a problem. That means their instruments are sensing or hearing stuff that is water that is so far away. Reservoirs that are like Maybe not even far away, but a distance away at least. So in this case, I'm just waiting to find out because it will make me very happy 
if we do find water tonight, it will make everybody, the students, the teachers, and everybody happy that there's water. Because it costs money to do that. Every time we don't find any water, we've already spent a lot of money doing that. And can you explain, when you say you're spending a lot of money just trying to find right. this water, what are you spending that money on? Okay. So money, for example, to transport, if the plan is to, to drill, to get to the water system, to the water source, then we, we must dispatch a rig that is going to travel down there. We must have the casings, pipe casings, because whether we find water or not, we still have to protect the ground, right? We may need to still case it so that there's no damage. The people doing it, they're working really hard. Not everybody's going to volunteer to do that. So we have to pay for those people because it's a, it's a very dangerous job. If it's a, a rocky place, the rocks could come out there while you're trying to, to drill. You know, they could hit you in the eye or could do anything could happen. It's very dangerous. They have to be very careful with those instruments, with those tools. And then once you do that, it costs a lot of money just to come up with the pipes. Because once you know how deep you're drilled, you have to know how deep the pipes are. That costs money. And then once you have water, the water isn't just going to come out from there, you know. You've got to have the pump to pump it out. You've got to pump it out maybe to a tank. So you've got to also build the tanks or purchase the tanks, like either above ground water tanks, the tank stands and all that stuff, build the tank stands. So it costs a lot of money just to do that. So if you do not find any water, you've already lost because you've spent some money, you know, to get there. One thing, the whole day, because it takes a whole day. You've already sent the team to go down there. They've already started doing all that stuff, clearing the land and everything. They've done the, the bowl site or whatever it is. They've spent money already to detect reservoirs. So that's where the money is going. You know, it's so interesting because I think that a lot of times people underestimate the amount of work that it takes to do something right. like this. I'm sure you have encountered many people who think like this because it's like, well, I got to pay for the labor. I got to pay for the equipment. I got to do this. I got to do that. And then at the end, you don't even know if it's going to work. That is a big deal. Yeah, That is a is. big deal. It is. I want to go back to when we were talking about how far women usually need to walk. And you were saying it's miles and miles and miles. Can you talk about some of the side effects of walking for water? Because these women are not just going from one place to another. They have to be physically fit. They have to make sure that there's no danger. Can you talk more about that? Right. So the dangers are in, I like to use Matobo Hills. It's very hilly. Okay. It's very rocky. So some people live like up the hill. Some people live down the hill, but just walking. Some of those women could be dehydrated. There's no water. And it is hot. That's one thing. It is scorching hot. So imagine walking in the heat with no water. You could collapse. You could faint, right? Just contracting diseases, you know, from lack of hydration, heart disease. You could end up with high blood pressure for no reason. And other diseases, you know, anything, kidney related diseases. But that's just one of the things. It's a health issue for women. And also, as women walk down that far and coming back late, sometimes they leave early in the morning when it's dark before it starts getting hot. You know, the risk is that, you know, those people that prey on women to assault them, 
you know, like sexual assault and all kinds of things, abuse. So those are kind of some of the things that happen. Women know about it sometimes. It's like, you know what? They have no choice. Because sometimes you feel like you're going to fight these people. If you run into any, anything like that, you're going to fight your way. But sometimes you're not, you're not successful. Sometimes you just have to submit yourself to those kind of situations because to avoid any conflict, you just have to say, whatever happens, I'm okay with it because I, I really need to get some water. So if it means me getting assaulted, so be it. So there's all kinds of things. People end up losing hope and just self-esteem and dignity. So what's JB Dundalo doing to protect those women where in communities where the water hasn't come yet? Well, there's really nothing much you can do right now because I cannot stop people from trying to get water right. where they can find it. But I think we've raised enough noise and talked about women as, you know, being assaulted, sexually assaulted. We've raised enough, you know, of our voices and a lot of people are hearing it. Maybe that's a deterrent when we keep talking about it. Like, you know, if you're caught, you're going to go to jail and keep talking about it. Maybe that in its own is a deterrent so that, you know, women don't go, have to go through all this trouble and all these assaults. I think that really the only way to get the women out of this trouble is to have water. So for that reason, JB Dondolo installs clean water systems with intentional placement within communities to benefit women and girls so they don't have to walk miles to find water. That is the reason why we have to put the water systems within the community because we don't want to just supply the water system for one person. So we make it be a community water so that the whole community is responsible for this water. The whole community drinks out of the same, they get the water from the same tank. It's enough for the whole community to have water from that tank. Because it's a big tank. I think the biggest one that we've, we've installed so far is a 5,000 liter tank. Wow. So <laughs> filling that up and people coming to get water and filling it up again when it's like halfway empty, we fill it up again. So there's always water in the tank. So that's what we've been doing. Yeah, I just had this thought where I know you're trying your hardest to get water systems in all these communities. But in the interim, I wonder if you could, and this is just like me spitting out ideas, but I wonder if you could maybe hire a driver or somebody who can escort women to the place of water so that they can essentially stay safe. Oh, that's a great idea, actually. The the thing also is that the this person will have to walk with the women, I guess, because it's not like they, there's are their roads or anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So it's also the infrastructure. You yeah. need the infrastructure to even drive right. a car. Right. <laughs> so this person will have to be committed to walking that long every day. You know what I mean? Wow. Like not maybe have a community, pay people to walk with women, some men to walk with women all the time to say when women are going to fetch water. There should be men working with them. And if any man does that, you know, we'll pay them. That would be a good thing to do. It's an idea. It's a very good idea. I like it. Yeah. We're starting a new program. I like it a lot. I want to talk about how JB Dondolo is also focusing on the U.S. too. A lot of times when we when we talk about this issue of water insecurity, it's like, Oh, we're always thinking about like low resource areas, low resource, low income countries. 
But you brought to light, which I actually didn't know, about some communities in the U.S. that also need water. Can you talk about that? Yeah. It's amazing to me because most of the times you'll be thinking, in your mind, you're thinking, well, I mean, this is an advanced country. This cannot be happening here, right? But it's amazing to me that a lot of people here in this country do not have water at all. You know, if you look at places like Flint, Michigan, for example, they had that mm-hmm. water poisoning with lead. If you go to Newark, New Jersey, it's the same thing. Several places, I mean, many places in the U.S., you run into those issues where people don't have water. And I'm always am- amused by the fact when they talk about there is no water, no clean water, and they cannot cook, and they have to drink like, out of bottled water. I'm always like really intrigued by that as to Really, how long can you drink? Can you live on bottled water to bathe and cook and you know, consume? I just, I don't know how long you can live like that. It's also an expense. It's very too. expensive, yeah. So we've had to go to those places like that and provide our services. If you look at Navajo Nation, for example, Navajo Nation is no, like in Arizona where we went, where we were supported. Mm-hmm. It is not different, not different from Matubo Hills at all. I mean, you can put them side by side and compare. It's like exactly the same, the terrain and everything. So similar. And the issues that women face all across, just the same. And this is in the U.S. So it doesn't matter which part of the world. To me, it's like wherever you go, you're going to run into this problem. So which is why IJB Dondoro is international in that we're here in the U.S. We try to help as much as we can because water is a global thing. It is a global initiative. Anybody who works on water issues understands why you know, water is needed everywhere. It doesn't have to be just one country. A lot of countries don't have water. So we try to help as much as you can wherever you are to make p- people feel comfortable, live better, have healthier lives and all that stuff. So yeah, we do go out there and here in the U.S. and do the same. Whatever we do in Zimbabwe, we do it here as well. It's not different. I want to challenge our listeners to go six hours without water. Maybe if you're feeling adventurous, a whole day without water. Yeah. See how you feel. Because a couple of years ago when our water completely shut off for only like three hours. And I was like, oh, no, what do I do? And it's like, oh, my gosh, you just take this for granted. I saw on your website when I was doing some digging that you do a lot of scientific testing and you use geologists to study and collect data, basically data on rocks. And I was wondering, what does rocks have to do with water? Sometimes you want to look at the rock formation, what kind of rock it is. If you had to go underground, what kind of chances would you have? Do they break easily or are they solid and hard? Because you, you really want to study the land formation. Land formation is very, is very important. The scientists also look at the sand. What does it look like? Is it like a desert type of sand? Because uh, if it is, then you never find water. So it kind of gives them clues as to what kind of water you're going to get, uh, if at all. But also it kind of gives us clues as to what kind of aquifers are there, if at all. So they study all that. They test and also what kind of diseases. Has there been any contamination? If there was floods ever in the region, what did those floods do? What was swept in the region? So they look at all those things because it's important to know what kind of water, if you decide to provide water in that area, 
people need to know what kind of water they're going to be getting. It also gives us an idea whether we're going to have to treat the water once we find the water. Are we going to need to treat it? Is it safe to drink? Or is the water so contaminated that there's been chemical dumping there and it's went underground and all that stuff? Is there maybe even lead poisoning and all that stuff? We test for everything to make sure the water is safe. You know, I wouldn't have ever thought of that. I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't have ever thought like, oh, let's hire a geologist to figure out like if this is a good place to get water. Exactly. Yeah. Because sometimes it's like, okay, if there's no groundwater, perhaps we can capture water, like atmospheric water. Maybe we can capture water in the air. So that study is important as well. How humid is it? Are there any trees around? Are people even planting trees or are they just chopping down the trees? Because the trees, the existence of trees actually helps. Anything, any type of growth in the area that is vegetation helps a lot. Yep. Which is why we came up with a, recently we launched something called the 100 Voices for Our Planet. Because we want people to live consciously and know that their actions in this world, on this planet, actually impact the availability of of natural resources such as water. Because if you're going to chop down the trees, you're making it a desert. What are the chances that it's going to rain? What makes it rain and what causes the rain? How does it come about? Understanding that what the importance of having a tree, just trees or any plants having like leaves and all that stuff, what it does to the atmosphere is important. And also it's important to know that when you throw things away like bottles or whatever on the ground, not disposing it correctly, that's contamination. Because some of so not all pla- all forms of plastic is safe. Not all forms of stuff that you throw away is safe. So it may not be biodegradable. So you need to dispose it correctly. So the 100 Voices for Planet helps people understand that our actions impact the natural resources on this planet. And in order for us to find water and to always have water, some of these man-made incidents, we need to start acting on those to see how we can minimize the man-made incidents and cut it down so that, you know, we have less of that, but have more of human nature because we cannot control that. I mean, like mother nature. We could go down this rabbit hole of how this impacts climate change. Exactly. And wow. It does a lot. Once you mess up the it climate, does. you've messed up the whole ecosystem. Uh, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. the people, they start having problems with their health, asthma attacks, all kinds of things going on. Diseases unknown diseases, because everything is messed up. But we need to start living eco-consciously and intentionally and consciously. Right. So that, you know, we don't have these problems where there's lack of natural resources. We take care of the soil so that there's there's not so much soil erosion. How we grow plants, how we grow anything, how a farm has to change. You know, we need to farm the right way so that we don't damage the ground. So there's a lot of things we need to learn. And small things that we need to just practice, small simple steps can make a, a huge difference in life. It's so true. It's so true. The small steps. I want to end this episode by asking you, or actually talking to you about some really innovative ways that you've actually created community within JB Dandolo and around the subject of water. And one of these ways was Voices for Water. I just found it so cool 
that you were able to be so creative within the team of JB Dundolo. Can you talk a little bit more about Voices for Water? Oh, absolutely. With the Voices for Water, I wanted to recognize people that are really committed to being the voice for water. Not just saying, oh, I'm just a voice for water. No, what have you done? Mm-hmm. What have you done to support this organization that is out there doing everything it can to make sure that people have clean water, have access to clean water, sanitation, and hygiene? And honor those people, appreciate those people, and thank them for their service. That's the whole idea of the Voices for Water Awards. And give them certificates, you know, brag about them and have them feel good about themselves. And continue doing what they're doing and encourage other people to, to do the same. And I found out that, you know, when I started doing that, I became like a frequent guest on 90 Minutes in Africa with the journalist Boy Elvis, who allowed me so many times to get on his TV show to talk about the Voices for Our Planet. And not only that, but to talk about what JB Tondoro is doing globally. I found out that, you know, because 90 Minutes in Africa reaches Everywhere in Africa, it's huge. It's a huge audience. I found out that I was getting help from all over the world. People really wanting to help become even interns or help volunteer for the organization and just ask, what is it that I can do to help? And that became huge. And because those people became now voices for water themselves by spreading the word and telling the whole world what we're doing and just trying to get more people involved. So it became huge. I'm really grateful to 90 Minutes in Africa. They continue to do so and continue giving me that space, that platform to share what we do and to even someday they're probably going to broadcast the Voices for Water, broadcast it on their TV show. I think that would be great, especially when we talk about the music for water, because when we're looking for a song for JB Dondolo that helps us out there, you know, talk about what we do and what we're looking for we play that music, it is it just ignites the world. Yeah, t- talk more about music for water. I thought that was so innovative, the, what you were, it what is, you were doing. It is. Just to think about the people who found throughout the world, you know, with their beautiful songs, very uplifting, very inspiring. I mean, it really touches your heart. That's when you know that, you know, you, you are making a difference in the world. Because when you're seeing what people are doing and how how much you're pouring their hearts just to give their songs. And to create music is not an easy thing, but somebody will sit there and create a song for water and say that this is a song for JB Dondolo. That is amazing to me. It makes me feel very proud. It's really huge. And we'll continue to do that. We're going to have another one this year. Every year we have the Voices for Water Awards and we have the Music for Water Awards. And I love it. I love it. And thank you too. You've actually given the platform when we had these shows, these events, thank you for giving us the platform. Like right now, what you're doing is huge. You've given us a platform so many times, not just one time. Shared our content and spread the word. And at one point, you actually participated. Not in the music side. So I'm really, really grateful to you for doing that. I call you a champion for doing that. You are really a change maker, a voice for water. Yes, one of those 100 voices for our planet for sure. Thank you, Lindy. It was such an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest, 
Head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode. There, you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you loved this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.